Hey there, welcome to the Podcast Manager Show. I am so happy that you are here today because I am interviewing Vadrine Boulay, also known as Vanilla Vads, on social media. And we are chatting about how to implement a human-first sales approach, plus so many other really interesting sales topics and how they also intersect with money mindset and marketing and all of these things that we want to consider when it comes to landing clients as a podcast manager. Vadrine is a business coach, business support expert, and founder of the Find My VA matchmaking program. She's located in Seychelles, which is a group of islands in the Indian Ocean. You should look it up. It looks absolutely beautiful. But Vads goes over her story of how she got into the online business space and gives some really incredible tips and strategies on how to think of our sales approach and our marketing approach as podcast managers. Let's go talk to Vads. Hey there, I'm Lauren, and you're listening to the Podcast Manager Show, a podcast for podcast managers. Each week, we cover the technical and tactical aspects of running a profitable podcast manager business. With over 90,000 new shows starting each month, podcast managers are in demand. I mean, in demand. And I'm here to help you land your dream clients while reaching your monthly income goals without working like crazy. Are you ready? Let's get to today's episode. Vads, thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm, I'm so excited to chat. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, we are going to be talking about sales and some marketing and just getting to know you a little better. So I would love to start with you just explaining uh, who you are and how you got started working online. Yeah, so my name is Vads. I, um, I was born and raised in the Seychelles Islands. I'm not sure if Everyone is familiar with where that is, but it's a tiny group of islands in the middle of the Indian Ocean. And I actually discovered the online space when I was about 14 and I fell in love with the world of blogging. Um, I was obsessed with reading blogs and I was obsessed with reading. And my parents actually helped me create my first blog. And in that blog, I did book reviews. So I signed up on WordPress, bought an $18 domain, and I started writing online. And it was through that that I discovered this incredible space of promoting yourself and talking about yourself online and SEO. And that sort of really sparked my interest for, back then, a very developing online world. I kind of ran my blog for up until I was 17 and then 18. And, and then I went off to university. I studied law in London and I continued to grow my blog while I was there. But when I was in London, I discovered the business side of having an online presence. So I started growing my Instagram. I started to get requests from brands to do photography. I had like a professional DSLR. So I kind of started as a, I use quotes here, influencer, <laughs> um, brand sort of personality. Um, and while I was in law school, I actually was exposed to the corporate lifestyle and discovered that I had absolutely no interest in it. And very quickly realized I didn't want to be a lawyer and therefore very quickly put more of my time into um, my blog. And it was actually um, in my second year of law school that I went on a retreat basically to learn how to be a professional blogger. And following that retreat, one of the organizers who was a, she was a full-time 
Forbes featured blogger, which to me at the time was huge. She asked me, Hey, do you want to be my virtual assistant? And I was like, what? A virtual what? Um, And that basically was my introduction to the world of online service provision, virtual assisting. And that really kicked off everything that I have today, which is my online business management service, my coaching business, our matchmaking program. That was the moment when I really discovered that that's what I wanted to do. And I went off to finish. I finished my law degree, but went full-time right away. So this is pretty much the only real job I've ever known, I've ever done. And um, yeah, it kind of leaves us to where we are right now. Yeah. Number one, the thing, one of the things that sticks out to me is I feel like, you know, this will probably change over time, but the virtual assisting world, it's like we all have like somehow this invite in and it might not be through a person. You might not know someone else that was a virtual assistant, but somehow, you know, you Google, you get a Facebook ad, somehow you, you happen upon it and you're like, wait, what? This is a thing? So it'll be interesting how many years it takes for things not to be that way anymore and for it to be kind of more, I don't know, mainstream or whatever. But it's just such a cool thing because I think a lot of us that come from this virtual assistant space, we can all relate to each other and like, yes, I remember that moment when I got sucked in or whatever, I got introduced to this world and how life-changing it really was. Absolutely. And I always say it's like it's the launching pad that takes you into this whole world of what we're going to get into marketing and sales and social media. And it's for many people, the door, the single door that opens this whole world of opportunity, as you say, because it's a blog post or nowadays a TikTok or just one mention of the word that then leads into, you know, you went into podcast management, I went into online business management, but it is like this launching pad that takes you basically into this whole online world. Yeah. And even further back, like into your story, it was blogging that was your one of your launching pads. And I and one of the things that I, I have a, you know, long history as well. It took me like six years to really create a business, which goodness is a long time. But the the point is, is like I was interested in something. You were interested in blogging, and you probably hoped that it would be your full time job. You know, you you had aspirations for it to grow. I'm sure I had aspirations for my first business to be my my last thing. I didn't want it to be. <laughs> I didn't want it to go down or, or whatever. But you try something, you learn, you see what you like about it, and then you pivot, and then you try that thing. And you don't if you can if you can withstand, you know, and, and move forward out of those learning experiences and not feel like a failure and quit, then you can get to wherever it is that you really are going. It's but you know, we don't always know that path for ourselves. We oftentimes don't at all, right? Oh my gosh, yes. I got goosebumps as you said that because you know, people often ask me, how did it start? How do I get started? And that the idea of just trying and experimenting and it has to come almost naturally and and intuitively like whatever it is that lights the flame that interests you. For me, it was writing. And back then it was Tumblr. Everything was on Tumblr. You had like the Tumblr memes and like the the Wattpads and all of that. And that for me was so exciting. And, And I just... I would have loved to think I could have become a full-time writer. I wanted to write novels. I wanted to do all those things. But at the time, it was just a passion. It was just an interest that I was so excited to learn and to try. And as you say, one skill developed and turned into this one money-making thing. Another skill developed that turned into this other thing. And like even now, I don't know if this is what I'm going to be doing 10 years from now, but I know that all these skills will lead to new things. And it's, yeah, as you say, that trying and that readiness to fail 
as it were, and but take it out of everything and just keep going. Yes. Yeah. I'm actually reading a book right now. I feel like I've been mentioning it everywhere, but it's called Failing Up. And one of the things he talks about in this book is how you really need to be seeking after failure and how hard of a mindset that is. And then I re- I was thinking about it over the weekend as I was listening to the book. And I thought, oh, wait, I failed a lot last year because I set really ambitious goals. So I am doing a good job. I am seeking after failure and pushing myself. And I don't really want, as an Enneagram 7, I like to focus on the good and not think about the bad. But, you know, I I thought about that in that light. I thought about my year in that light of, oh, what did I push myself so hard at that I failed at? I'm like, okay, there's some things that are on the list. Oh, yeah. If people knew the amount of projects that I'd scrapped halfway or the sales that hadn't gone through or the failed ideas, like there's so many. And, you know, and it's it's easy to portray this image of everything's working. But once you reach a certain number of years, as you say, you're six years, I'm, I would say six years plus in the in the space as well. But like, if you count how many times we've failed, it's probably more times than we've succeeded in quotes again. But it's, yeah. it's those that have led to every every success after that. For sure. And yeah, it's like you don't even want to use the word failure, but I do like to kind of call it what it is because for people that are, you know, in those first couple of steps, it does feel like a failure. So it's like you, I want to acknowledge like, oh, I felt that feeling and I've had those moments, but look what it turns into. And that's kind of what we're, (laughs) what we're getting at, right? Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. So uh, one of the big questions I wanted to ask you was, why do you like talking about sales? Or, and why is talking about sales important? Because, you know, it makes some people squeamish to think about the fact that they have to sell themselves as an online service provider. So why do you like talking about sales? I, first of all, I love this question. <laughs> um, I honestly, it comes from a place of believing that money is abundant. And I think we've created such a taboo not just on the online space, but in our entire world, that a lot of money belongs to a certain class of person. Um, and a certain class of person cannot and will never have a lot of money. And there's there's so many words attached to money, you know, greedy, evil, bad, and then there's good. And, and, and I think we've put money on a pedestal when money is in fact just a word and it's a concept that we've created. So I believe that money, A, is abundant. And I believe in empowering people to believe that they can make more money if they want to and that they are the creators of their own lives. And I don't believe that money is everything. It's not. But money is a lot of things. Having a lot of money allows you to have a lot of things in this life. And it's funny, I saw related to this, I saw a TikTok the other day where this guy was doing a skit. And the end quote, he was like a dad talking to his child. And at the end, he said, be smart enough to grow up to make lots of money but not dumb enough to think that it matters. Mm. And that's the piece, you know, there is enough money in the world to go around and anyone who wants it can choose to design their life in an, in an abundant way. And, and that's why I, I feel so free talking about money and talking about how much money I make and talking about sales. Yeah, I think that's so interesting. You just used the word like you feel free to talk about money because that is how... It, some people feel is that it's like, if I talk about money and, or if I talk about sales, then it shows that maybe they want more money. And if they want more money, then what does that say about them? Then they, they have all of those money mindset beliefs that they've, they haven't, you know, acknowledged or whatnot. So, so yeah, I totally get that. And one of the things about money mindset that has really stuck with me is that when you accumulate more money or earn more money, 
it amplifies who you are already are. Because like you said, society has kind of told us that if you have a lot of money, then you're going to be selfish and greedy and whatever it is. But really, it amplifies whatever it is that you want to do and who you already are. So, you know, if you're a giver, you can give more. If you are super strategic and you could be all these things, right? But if you're super strategic, it allows you to be more strategic with your money or whatever. So that's helped me with some of my money mindset blocks. Absolutely. And I think just to kind of continue on this train of thought, a huge part of the scarcity mindset around money is related to self-worth. You know, and, and we, we talk about societal conditioning about the word money, but it's also, you know, there are so many mindset, I want to say like traumas um, that go into how we believe in our self-worth and therefore how much we believe we are worth someone to pay us, right? Mm-hmm. So if we grew up in a family where there was a scarcity mindset and there wasn't a lot of money in the house, one would grow up to believe that there isn't enough money in the world versus someone who grew up with a little bit more access to money would, would under ha- have a different approach to, to the mindset around having money. But I think, you know, it's important to, from what you just said, what you've done as well, like diving into where that that scarcity mindset comes from and why it is that we believe what we believe about how much we're worth. And once we are comfortable in how much we're worth, then everything kind of opens itself up. Yeah. And that makes me think, I feel like this is kind of a hot topic in the online service provider space is charging your worth. So how do you feel about that term and how we charge, how we price our services? I love this question because it's so nuanced and I think it's very complex. So I'm going to do my best to kind of break down what's coming to me to answer this question right now. I do believe in pricing your worth, but I also believe your worth is based on a number of things. I think that your worth is based on your tangible experience. So experience in a certain skill. I believe it's based on your value, your inherent value as a person, because I believe we all have inherent value as a person. I also believe your worth is based on your technical expertise, like your how much education you've paid to learn about this thing. So I, I think that paying your worth is nuanced. I don't think you can sit down as a day one service provider and say, I'm going to charge $100 an hour just because I'm worth it. The income potential on the online space is so uncapped that people have the chance to charge some astronomical prices and call it charging your worth. Now, I'm not saying anything about those creators because power to them. But yeah, I think I think then you have the other side of the spectrum where people are like, charging my worth is $10 an hour when that doesn't even pay the bills. So it's, I think, it's such a nuanced conversation. And there's there's like a spectrum of people charging a whole range of prices for their worth. But yeah, I think, I think it's really complex. And I think I could talk about this for hours and hours. Um, but that's kind of what yeah came to me in this moment in relation to that question. Yeah, you're right. It is so nuanced. And it's kind of like back before people were kind of challenging that belief of, you know, charging your worth. It was charge your worth. It was a kind of a female empowerment message of, hey, you know, there's people out there that are charging double, triple, quadruple what you're doing. You can do this too. I think that was like the general messaging around it. Then people are like, wait, no, you charging your worth is not um, the right way to think about it because we're all inherently worthy of 
you know, there's no, we can't put a price on us as humans. Well, yeah, don't we all kind of know that? It's kind of like, yes, of course. But number one, I, I would want people to think like, when you hear charge your worth, it's not necessarily talking about your worth as a human, but your the worth of your business, like you said, like your business skills and stuff. And, and but but I totally agree. It's so nuanced. There's so many things to to go into play with it. But it's like when I see someone else saying, you know, charging your worth is not the way to think about it. I'm like, well, then provide us with a new way to think about it. <laughs> you know, you can't always just like shut down a, a way of, of way of thinking and without giving something new. So I'm like, how should we think about it? So I agree though, very nuanced. Yeah, and I think, you know, going to what you said about this idea that it came from a female empowerment perspective, that is true. And I mean, I'll use an example of what I do with my clients when we're developing product suites. And I mean, you can kind of tell when someone's pricing too low. As a coach, as somebody who's worked in the space, if a client comes to me and tells me they're charging $20 an hour, but they've got 12 plus years in a corporate marketing position, like there's a lot of red flags when someone is charging too low. And to them, I will say, charge, what is your worth? What is your price? And the answer to that, there's no mathematical equation that comes out of that, right? Because we can say all of these things, but the question I always ask is, okay, but how much should you be charging? And there's always a number higher than that. There's always a number that they're kind of like, oh, I would love to charge 30, 35, 40. And then that's, that's it. That's mm. they're worth more than the price that makes you feel like shit. Can I get it? <laughs> yes. Like, you're worth that is more. the quote. Yeah. You're worth more than that little price that doesn't make you feel good. Up it to the next one. But then once you feel good, I mean, you can go up a bit more from that, but the, the phrase stops needing to be an empowering phrase because you've already moved past that. That makes sense. Yes, it totally makes sense because I've been trying to kind of wrap my um, my mind around how I price to kind of to, you know to help my students more because you know pricing is such a huge thing when it when it comes to being an online service provider. It's a mindset thing for sure. And what you said, like <laughs> you don't want to be at the price that makes you feel like shit. You want to be at the price that makes you feel taken care of. That's the way I describe it. It's like, if you feel like you're t being taken care of by your client, but it's really you taking care of yourself because you're the one setting your price, then when your client says, hey, can we do this? You're not so concerned on like, how do I price this one tiny thing that my client wants to add? It's like you have this all-inclusive, it's like going to an all-inclusive resort. They're not charging you for like the extra whip on your pina colada because it's everything's included. And of course, we shouldn't have like literally everything included in our prices. That would be that would be silly. But it is that mindset of like, you don't feel like you have to nickel and dime because your prices are set that you feel like you're taken care of. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I sort of I phrase that a bit differently, but it's the similar concept in the sense that, OK, what is your minimum number that your life needs? Like if you're charging mm -hmm. a number as a business owner that doesn't let you pay the bills, doesn't let you pay rent. Of course, you're going to feel like shit. Of course, that's not your worth because you can't afford the house that you're in. You know what I mean? So what is that minimum number? And then what is that feel good number on top of that? What is, as you say, I love the way you said it, where you feel you're taken care of. And then everything else after that is extra, right? Although I don't like rules, I'm not a Like I hear very, very often, increase your prices every, every other client or every second client. And I'm like, that's crazy. Like that doesn't make, why? You know, what, that doesn't make sense. 
it would be nice to do, you know, to me to increase $10 after every client, but it doesn't really make sense. Um, so there's all of these like, yeah, ways of looking at it and these kind of rules. But as you say, yeah, the feeling of price, what, what allows you to feel taken care of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so good. So good. Hey, I wanted to interrupt this episode to share with you guys that I am now partnering with Audible. So excited. I've been wanting to do this forever because I've been consistently using Audible for the last two years and loving it. And I used to use it even before that, but I've really gotten into it for the past two years. And I was like, this is perfect for people that love podcasts because audiobooks are so similar to podcasts, but it's just like one message that's tied up in a beautiful bow instead of, you know, consecutive episodes over similar topics. And Audible makes listening to books so easy. And every book that you want to listen to is on Audible, which is so nice. Over the last two years, some of my favorite books that I've listened to are Atomic Habits, We Should All Be Millionaires, and The Storyteller's Secret. But I've listened to countless of others for my personal life, for my business life, just everything in between. I've listened to a book over the last two years using Audible. And right now I'm listening to Failing Up by Leslie Odom Jr. Oh my gosh, so good, so good. You've got to check that one out. And if you go to laurenwrighton.com forward slash Audible, you can get a 30-day trial for Audible for free. After that, if you still like it, then you can continue for $15 a month you get one credit, which will get you one book. So for $15, you can download one book per month, or you can even bump up to their higher price. I think it's $20 or $25 where you can get two books. So that's where I'm at because I was just taking all of these books in as fast as I can. You can also speed them up, which I love. Just like in the podcasting world, you can speed them up and listen to them at a high speed. (laughs) But if you go to laurenwrighton.com forward slash audible, you can start your 30-day trial today. And let me know which book you start with first. So one of the things, well, one of the reasons I was so excited to interview is you, to interview you, is because, you know, you meet someone on social media and you get like little snippets of what they teach and who they are. And in a podcast episode, we can actually dive deep and chat. So that was one of the reasons that I was like, okay, I'm, I'm excited that we're going to be doing this. And one of the things that I saw you talking about on Instagram was this human first sales approach. So can you explain to us what you mean by that? Yeah. So a human first sales approach places this is how I describe it. It places the human being behind the business or behind the screen before the sale. Now, I just want to be super clear and transparent and say that I did not always have this approach. Having started you know, my money-making business, I would say around four years ago, I've been in the making income from this online space for about four years. I too started with the cold pitching. I too learned the really copy and paste checklisty marketing strategies. Um, And it was truthfully through learning many, 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 many of these marketing approaches that I developed my version of the human first approach. And if you Google like a human first approach, there are many companies adopting it. There are many definitions of it. But ultimately, it's an approach that places the human being behind the screen, the human being behind the business and their unique goals, their unique values, their unique 
skills and personalities before the pitch, before the sale. And it's through understanding the human, the personality, the skills that you can have a conversation with them that allows you to offer them a solution. Because I believe that as a business owner, as a service provider, I'll speak for myself. I have a very valuable skill set and service that solves people's problems. Like I love to empower people with this idea. You have something that solves someone's problem. But in order for you to show them that you have this solution, you have to speak to the human because it's the human who's going to pull out their wallet and pay you, right? At, at the end of the day. So, you know, if we take a, a specific example of in the DMs, you know, I believe in proactive outreach. Like I, I believe if you find an account that you love, send them a message, say hi, right? Connect with them, show your excitement to network because we all know what we're doing here on the space. We all know we've got something to sell. We all know we're looking for new clients. Like, I don't think there's any reason for us to hide that fact, but it's all about mm -hmm. how you go about it, right? When I slide into someone's DMs, I know that I probably have the solution to their problem, but I'm not going to start with that. I'm going to lead with the human being because I know that these problems are real. These problems are things that, you know, people struggle with. They, 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 they people as someone who has suffered from depression, who has suffered from anxiety, I know how bad it is, right? How much of a struggle it is. So it's leading with empathy. It's leading with compassion. It's leading with kindness. It's leading with humanity. And then being like, Hey, do you know what? I have a certain skill set. And I want to help you solve this problem, but hey, I'm a business. So there's a price tag on it. Let's talk about that now. But that's mm -hmm. in a nutshell what the human first approach does. And it's not something I could kind of roadmap and be like, step one, step two, step three. And I think everyone's version of the human first approach would be different. My goal is to empower my clients or anyone really to find your version of the human first approach, the language that you like to use, the problems you're solving, the skills you have, et cetera. Yeah, in order to lead to those more powerful and meaningful sales. Yeah, I, I totally agree that like we all have our own version of that because we all are, we all interact differently in a social situation. And it sounds like, you know, if we're talking about interacting with people on Instagram, some of us, if we were in a big room, we would go up to someone and say, oh my gosh, I love your outfit. Where'd you get it at? Like we would just go up and just start the conversation. But some of us are more introverted. And so we would say, you know, we, we would get to know the person in their stories first and then we'd reach out or whatever. So yes, I love that you mentioned that like it can look similar, but be different because we, if we are being genuine, which we should be in our outreach, then it does look different. And we can be like comfortable because we're being ourselves. But we're also saying, like you said, I have this skill and I, you know, I run a business. And so you can, you don't, you know, you don't get yourself into helping people solve their problems in their DMs without getting paid. But when you feel comfortable in that position, then it goes well. Absolutely. And I love that you use the example of if you were all in a big room, I love to use the example of like, two friends meeting in a bar, two strangers meeting in a bar, you'll say, hi, what's your name? My name is Vads. Oh my God, I love your dress. How are you doing? What led you here tonight? What are you doing here? And then you, you'll eventually start talking about work. That's the natural mm -hmm. effect. Oh, what do you do? Oh, hey, I'm a virtual assistant. I actually help people like X, Y, and Z do this, this, and this. Oh my God, that's so cool. Here's my business card. Do you know, like these types of conversations happen all the time. And Obviously, over the past couple of years, we've created a lot of stigma around DMing people and kind of eye-rolling types of conversations. But 
I think if all of us were to pull back the fact that we all have something to sell, we're all businesses and it's okay to network as a business. It's okay to say, hey, this is what I do. If you ever feel keen, just like, let's have a chat, you know, in a really chilled way as you would if you met this human being in a bar, in a restaurant, you know, in a, in a casual, in real life environment. Yeah, totally. I think that has got to be so helpful for our, men, our mindsets of, like you said, when we get on social media to think like, okay, how would I interact with someone if I just saw them on the streets or saw them, you know, in a bar to help you kind of almost like take the temperature down? Like, okay, this is fine. Like, I I don't need to like be aggressively. That's another word I think that kind of comes up when people think about sales is like being aggressive and closing the sale and like, you know, thinking that it has to be a quick process or whatever. It's like, no, this can be really a relational. Oh yeah. I mean, I like to say it takes however long it takes. And, you know, I've had, I have, again, in quotes, closed a sale in one call. Like I'm comfortable closing in the DMs without a discovery call. I've also only closed a sale after six months of building a relationship with this person. Like it takes however long it takes for Mm -hmm. That business connection to be made. But I also think it's worth mentioning, like if you're on the other side of the conversation, you have to treat people the way you'd want to be treated. Like unless they're very much a bot or like a spammer account, I reply to almost all of my messages because I get it. I find a lot of people want to be outgoing. They want to be businessy. They want to be able to reach out to people, but then they don't necessarily treat the people in the DMs the way they would want to be treated. So I think it's important to understand what we're all really doing here and to treat people in your DMs the way you would want to be treated. And there's like a really, I'll share with you a really powerful statement that I share with my clients. If you feel like someone's quote, bothering you in the DMs or being aggressive, again, quotes, all of these words are in quotes because you know, they're words, they're just words. But I'll have a quote that anyone listening here can use. If you're not ready, if you can sense someone's getting into a sale, I literally just say, hey, I'm super keen to network, but I'm not looking to buy right now. Thanks so much for your time. Like, that's it. Like, but it's so important to reply to people, to form connections, because you also never know what could become of a conversation. I know we're going on a tangent here, but like, I felt mm-hmm. that was important to mention to treat people in sales the way you would want to be treated. Yes. That really resonates with me personally because I came from the health and fitness space. And so I'm really like closed up when it come when someone, especially if they're a mom as I am, and they friend me on Facebook or whatever, and they they sell something that's weight loss focused. And I'm just, that's not my thing anymore. And so I get all sorts of getting in my feels if someone messages me and I can see that they sell something weight loss related. And I'm like, you're targeting me and I don't like it. (laughs) And so it's like, but I could still respond to them and say, hey, I would love to network because I do love chatting with people and they're a business owner like I am, but I'm not interested in in buying right now or, or whatever. So yeah, so thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course, yeah. So another thing that I wanted to ask you about was multi-platform marketing. What's your idea around around this? Yes. So multi-platform marketing for me is all about visibility. I think a lot of people will know this by now, but we don't own almost anything that we have online. And it's a mixture of this idea that, you know, Instagram could crash tomorrow. So you need to have a mailing list. And how are you going to get a mailing list where you have to put out content? 
But for me, multi-platform marketing is all about visibility. It's about brand awareness. So I personally have the blog and I have the website, which kind of runs on Google. So that's one area of visibility. I have Pinterest as well. I've got LinkedIn. I've got Instagram. That's about it for now. But that's kind of all I needed to develop for my business at the moment. But all of that is to get people to my core offers. And I believe that a multi-platform marketing doesn't necessarily have to be more work because almost everything that I put on all of my platforms is basically repurposed. I mean, this is something most people might be familiar with. And a lot of people come into it thinking, oh my God, more platforms is more work. I don't have the time for it. It just, it sounds overwhelming. And the truth is at the start, it is. It is overwhelming. It's it's not overwhelming. It's a lot of content. It's a lot of material. But the goal with multi-platform marketing for me and, and the way I teach it is to create this really solid foundation of having your name in front of as many eyes as possible. You want your name popping up on any corner of the internet. Oh, I also have a Facebook. We have a Facebook account. I don't use Facebook hugely, but again, I want my name. I want somebody, somebody to be able to tag me on Facebook if they worked mm. or if they know me. I want someone to repin my pin. I want someone to be able to find me on LinkedIn. Like it's all about that visibility and that brand awareness that builds over time. Multi-platform marketing is a long-term strategy. And yes, it is a lot of content. It's a lot of information. It is a lot of work. But if you're in this for the long game, it's worth it to build that foundation. Because now I have a lot of content on my website that kind of does its own thing. Like I post on my on the blog, like maybe twice a month, I queue up my tailwind on Pinterest. But at this point, four years in the game, it's not a lot of work. It's not a lot of time because it's already built itself up. And that's really what it's about. It's about, okay, in three years from now, where do you want people to be able to find you? Like how quickly do you want your brand to have grown? So therefore, how much time are you going to put in now to create all this content? That's kind of what I, what I, the surface of, of what multi-platform marketing is to me and the way I teach it. Yeah. So then if someone were starting as a podcast manager, or as an online service provider today, would you recommend that they start with one platform or start with four or, or whatever? What, what would be the first step? I have a couple of preferences. In fact, I'm, I, I would pick three three that complement each other. Then the three that I share with all of my clients is Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Because all of those platforms, you can repurpose the content. You can repurpose exactly what you post on Instagram to LinkedIn and Facebook. And it does the job of putting your name out there, of increased visibility, of brand awareness. So I would really pick three that are connected and that allows mm-hmm. you to manage your content and repurpose your content in a sustainable way as you're getting started. Because as you're getting started, there's a lot happening. First of all, you're figuring out what content to create. You're building the audience. So I would say three platforms. And then you grow from there. Because remembering the goal of someone who's getting started, however you want to say it, is to get booked out. Like everyone's goal when they get started is to get booked out, to get the number of clients. It's going to make this business profitable for them. So what are the platforms that are going to help you land clients ASAP? We know it's Instagram. LinkedIn is was built as a business networking platform. I personally love LinkedIn. And then Facebook because everybody uses Facebook. So mm-hmm. following from that, once you've built that foundation on these platforms, then you can think about growing. You know, a website, a blog, 
Pinterest to complement the blog, a YouTube channel. Some people use Twitter. I've never used Twitter for business. I have one now, um, but I've never used it for business. But pick three really core platforms that will be your central foundational platforms that are connected and that are easy to recycle repurpose content on. Once you've been able to build your brand on these platforms, then look into expansion and growth because you'll have a bit more money for it and you'll have more time and trust in the growth of your brand. Yes, totally. And yeah, you'll have, like you said, you'll have more money if you want to hire help. You also will have a better idea of your content and what's resonating. And we all know, in the, especially in the beginning, our businesses shift a lot. You know, you're, you're figuring things out and that's, and that's totally normal and really to be expected. Absolutely. Yes. And and I think that's kind of related to what we're saying. That's one of the reasons I don't encourage people to set up a website at the start because of all of these shifts. Like a website is an amazing platform. There's a whole bunch of marketing stuff that you can do on a website. And I may be sort of, um, I don't want to say hypocritical, but I had a website before I had a business. So I, I, can, I can say, you know, I kind of have the website, but with the number of shifts that we take in our first year of business, if I can tell you the amount of times that I changed my entire website in my like two years of officially being in business, thank God I was a WordPress web designer because I would have hundreds of hours would have gone into designing this website. Um, but yeah, I, I, as a tangent, a website is something I would do last <laughs> once you've cemented yeah. that brand. Yes, I, I teach the same thing to my podcast manager students is that, you know, a website is not worthy of your time in the beginning. There's just so many other things that are really going to move the needle. So, you know, don't focus on that. And it's tough though, because we want to, you know, if we're proud of what we're doing, we feel like it's it's something we have to do to like be a real business. And it's like, no, there's so many other things that you can do to really feel like you're a real business, right? It's not just the website. And, you know, if any time, like, especially when I was starting out, if I thought, am I doing this for like the people in my personal life? Because if I am, that's a red flag. I need to be very, very focused on being profitable and serving my clients because those are the people that matter. And whether I have X amount of followers or I have a fancy website, those things really don't matter when it comes to being in the online service provider space. Absolutely. Yes. And, and again, as you say, it's, it's focusing on those core things that are going to make you profitable because when we look at sort of the trends that I've noticed of speaking to people, like it all comes back to the conversation about money. Like if you set up your business in January and by July, you haven't had any clients, i.e. you haven't made any sales, i.e. you haven't had any money coming in, you're going to want to give up. Maybe you've already invested in the website. Maybe you've got business cards. I see new service providers creating, I don't have business cards. <laughs> I want some now. Um, but I see people coming out with business cards and then you have a conversation with them and they don't have any clients yet. It's not having that money that creates those limiting beliefs, that not having the clients creates a self-doubt. So all of that stuff is just extra. That is expansion and growth. But your core foundational elements, as you say, it has to be tight. It has to be trimmed in order to help you create that sustainability and that consistency. Totally, totally. And I think that's such a great point to say that when we focus on the other things besides those needle movers to get clients in the beginning, that's what kind of develops those limiting thoughts. Because mm -hmm. we start thinking, am I capable of making money? You know, do people want to hire me? You you just start having those thoughts. So when if but if we focus on them, if we focus on landing clients as our you know, number one priority, instead of looking like a business, then we we maybe 
hopefully could avoid some of those kind of early pitfalls. Absolutely. I think, as you say, having a website, we're using the example of a website, like it makes you think, oh, I have a website, I should have clients. And we're focusing Mm -hmm. on the wrong things versus realizing that, oh no, I should be mastering marketing. I should be understanding buyer psychology. I should be understanding how to sell in a way that feels good for me. Not all of this fluffy stuff, not how my feed looks or like how many comments I'm getting, but actually the the KPIs that I've set for myself in terms of the clients and, and, the, and you know. Yes, so, so good. This has been awesome. I'm so glad that you got to, you came on. How can the listeners connect with you after the show? Yes. So my primary platform is Instagram. You can find me at vanilla underscore vads. Um, if you want to check out my website, <laughs> it's uh, www.vanillavads.com. I'm also on Pinterest, Vanilla Vads, basically on most of the platforms. If you look for Vanilla Vads, you should find me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'm so excited to hear the takeaways from this episode because I know they're going to be incredible. So thank you again for being on the show. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. This was amazing. This is awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today. Come connect with me over on Instagram at Lauren Wrighton or in the Podcast Manager Mastermind Facebook group. And let me know what you liked about this episode. I love, love, love hearing your guys' feedback and what is resonating with you. You can always find the links and resources mentioned in the show over at laurenwrighton.com. Special thanks to my amazing Podcast Manager, Marcy Page, on producing this episode. All right, that's it. Until next time, I'll be cheering you on.